I'm super excited to teach this third week of our series, Detox. Today, I want to talk about the missing element. But first, I want to take just a moment. And, you know, I've been, priorit- I've been saying every week of this series that we should prioritize our mental health as we're living through one of the most difficult times, really, uh, in contemporary history. And so if you are a person who says, you know what, I need some additional help and resources with my mental health, or maybe your kids need some additional help and resources, we put a link right here on the screen. I want to encourage you to go to our webpage. We have a ton of resources there that are designed to be helpful to you and designed to be helpful even to your kids. And so let us be supportive of you uh, as we walk through this thing together. Now, uh, let's turn our attention to today's uh, teaching. And first, uh, let me just remind you, as I think about detox, everybody shout detox. Uh, I'm, this is the definition that I'm, I'm reflecting on. Uh, the process that rid our bodies and our lives of harmful and unhealthy stuff. And as we have lived through this pandemic, there's a lot of stuff that's entered into how we think about ourselves and how we think about others and, 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 and how we engage with others that's harmful and unhealthy. And God is calling us to engage in a process of spiritual detox. So the first week of this series, I spent some time talking about the things that we need to get rid of in our lives, right? And last week, I spent some time talking about the things that we need to restore, those healthy um, uh, elements uh, that we need to restore to how we think about other people, restore in terms of how we engage with others, especially for those of us who represent Jesus in the world. And the first thing that I suggested that we need to restore is empathy. Everybody shout empathy. Yeah. You know what I mean by empathy? Empathy. It means that you see others, that you care for others. It means that you feel with others. The second thing I suggested last week that we need to make sure uh, that we engage in if we're going to restore some of the more healthy uh, uh, things that God is, is calling us to in terms of how we think and engage with others is we got to change your feed. Yeah. We got to change what we're feeding on in terms of social media, in terms of the news, uh, in terms of the conversations. You know, if you just feed yourself with negative, traumatic, high drama stuff again and again, you know, that, that drives up our anxiety. It deepens our sense of depression. It, we are re-traumatizing ourselves. And so I've suggested you change your feed. You know, there used to be a commercial some time ago that used to say, you are what you eat. So change your feed. Today, uh, as we think about some other elements that we need to restore to how we live our lives in the world that will make us, uh, that not only will detox our own lives, but will allow God to use us to detox life around us, I want to highlight what I'm calling a missing element often. And uh, let's back into it first by reading our text. Let me pick up where I left off last week. Paul is writing to the church in Rome Chapter 12, verse 4 through 5. Here's what he says. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body. And we all belong to each other. Would you just read this with me? We all belong to each other. Now, I'm going to return to this text towards the end of this teaching. So uh, I'm not, I'm going to, I'm going to end with what we just read there in Romans. 
Here's where I want to start at, though. Psalms 23, 5, one of my favorite passages. You've been around for a while. You may have heard me unpack this on several other occasions. I want to revisit this in the context of our teaching today. David is talking here, and he's being very personal with God. He says, God, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Now, the scholars tells us, who've looked at this passage, that David is probably writing this passage, and you should uh, recognize it. Uh, it's part of a larger piece, which is called Psalms 23. You know, we've heard it, even if we're not people of faith. We've heard it at funerals and, and other occasions. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It goes on from there, right? Psalms 23. And the scholars tell us that probably David wrote this psalm towards the end of his life. Somewhere in his 70s, steps was getting shorter, his eyes was getting dim. He could see the end point of his living on earth. And he had been king of the nation of Israel for 40 years. He had reigned as king. And he's really looking back over his life. And as he looks back over his life, he writes this poetic expression capturing uh, two major pictures. That That essentially he says that when I think about God over the breadth of my life, these are two word pictures that ultimately capture who God has been to me. Now, the reason why we want to pay a lot of attention to what David has to say about these word pictures is because essentially David becomes the chief paradigm in Scripture for faithfulness, echoing through the biblical text of the words that he was a man after God's own heart, which means that even in his worst moment, in his most imperfect, uh, even when he was falling down, ultimately his desire was to find a way to please God, and that kept him staying connected to God finding his way back to God. As a matter of fact, when the angels introduced to Mary that she was going to conceive and bring forth a child and his name would be Jesus, what they said about that child is that he will ultimately sit on the throne of his ancestor David, which suggests that David's seat became the, the, the symbol, if you will, of the seat of faithfulness the spiritual seat of faithfulness that Jesus would ultimately occupy throughout eternity. So David's faithfulness, his his understanding of God is critical as we think about this missing element that may be missing in your life and is certainly missing often in the world. So what is the first picture? The first picture that David says, when I think about my years with God, The first picture that captures who God has been to me is the picture of a God who guides us. Come on, just just say that with me. Say, God guides us. Yeah. We pick this up in how he starts the psalm, right? He starts by simply saying, the Lord is my shepherd, someone who guides us. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides uh, quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. Uh, and, uh, and he guides me along right paths of his namesake. He guides me. God guides. Now, David would say, in order for God to truly guide you in your life, if you just notice the language, how, how he, um, you know, he makes me lie down before, he leads me besides quiet waters, right? He restores my soul, all this work that God is doing. David would say, you got to grapple with your issues around control and trust when it comes to God. 
I'm reminded that when I was a young man, a uh, teenager, just learning how to drive, my father would allow me to drive him from, to various church engagements as, and, and, and would allow me, allow me to practice and drive. And, and oftentimes, some of the church engagements we would go to where there was a lot of hills and curves and so forth and so on. I have this lasting image of my dad uh, as I'm driving over those hills and racing around the curve, holding on for dear life <laughs> the handle in the car. And every now and then he would say something. But for the most time, most part, he would concede control to me and trust that I had enough sense not to go off the road <laughs> and to learn in reflection uh, uh, the things I needed to learn. Well, I think that's how a lot of us sometimes feel in our relationship with God. It feels like we're racing up and down through the difficulties of life and we're holding on. The difference is, the difference is simply this, that God is not a novice. This is not God's first rodeo. God has been doing this thing with his creative order for billions of years. This is not the first pandemic that God has had to move people through. Come on, God is, is a master at leading us through the valley of the shadows of death. That he, 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 you're not the first life that he has had to shepherd through grief and loss and shattered greens, dreams and great disappointment. No, 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 no. You can trust God. And part of trusting God is to release control as he leads us through this difficult way. So that's really the first. Paul, David says, my first picture of God is, you know, he's one that guides me. But the second picture that he has, this is my, my, my in a sense, David is saying, my, my all-time favorite picture of God. The, 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 the picture that discloses who God has been the most throughout my life is really captured in verse 5. And he turns his attention to God. And he's talking to God here, right? He says, God, let me just tell you who you've been to me. You've been one who has prepared a table before me. In the presence of my enemy, you, you've been the one who's anointed my head with oil. You've, you've been the one that, that has made sure that my cup overflows. It's the image, really, of a host, right? And, and, and inside that image of the host who, in David's day, had the responsibility to, to, to protect those who he was his guest and to serve them. That is the image that undergirds this text. And David says that shockingly, shockingly, that what he's discovered about God is so important until God embodies it in himself, this element, and he embodies it in every relationship that he has. As a matter of fact, what he's discovered about God in his relationship with God, that this element that I want to talk about, uh, that defines his relationship with God is so critical. It is so essential that God has literally, watch this, hidden it into the very structure of life itself. David hints at that truth when he says in Psalms 8, he says, God, when I consider the heavens, the works of your fingers. He says, the sun, the moon, as they set in their places, what is mankind that you would be mindful of them and, and human beings that you would care 
for them. Say the words care for them. Uh, if, if you're taking notes, you want to write that down. Care for them. If you're watching on Facebook, you want to type in the chat. Care for them. Come back to that in a moment. The element that defines David's predominant picture of God in his life over 70 years is this. That God is one who serves us. Can I say it again? God serves us. Isn't this mind-blowing? It's it's just incredible to think that the God of power, the the scripture declares the earth is yours and, and all that is within it. The God of power is one who serves us. This is what David is saying. That the that the God of, of the greatest expression of wealth, you know, the scripture declares that, that, the, that the, 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 the silver and gold is God, right? All the silver and all the gold is God. And yet he serves us. There's some insight about how we ought to use our power. There's some insight about how we ought to use our wealth and our creativity and our imagination this, 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 that, that often missing from all of that is this overwhelming notion, this call to serve. That's the missing element. But it's never missing from God's relationship with those who are connected to him. Here's how David would describe this, this serving God in his life. He would say, listen, he was the Youngest of eight kids, and when he didn't have a sense of purpose, when he was often forgotten about out there taking care of the, the sheep, etc., he said God showed up at his service and picked him to be the second king of Israel, serving. When he was outdone by the great champion Goliath, really profaning the name of God and, and profaning the name of the nation of Israel, and as a teenager, he showed up to defend the honor of God and the nation. He said God showed up at his service. And empowered David to defeat the odds and destroy that great giant Goliath with a swing slingshot and a rock. So when Saul was was marshalling all of the powers of the of the nation of Israel against David to wipe him out, God kept showing up at David's service, protecting and preserving him, because God had a greater purpose for his life. And yes, when David. Uh, this great David who, after becoming king, in that season where he forgot that this element of service should be a part of how he used his power, how he led, and he forgot. And he, and he found himself a man who loved God, doing some of the most ungodly things, like, like calling Bathsheba, who was married to a man named Uriah, and calling her over and, 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 and having her to sleep with him and and then trying to cover up the fact that she got pregnant, he killed her husband out on the battlefield, had him killed. And, and now he's a adulterer and now he's a liar and now he's a murderer. And, and, and when he needed somebody to confront him with the truth of his brokenness, to, to, to convict him about his own wrong, not so that he can wallow in guilt and shame, but so that God could... could uh, 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 fix it so that his life is not defined by his mistakes, but rather 
he grows through his mistakes. God showed up. When David says, is that God in his life has been one who served. And so when David writes Psalms 51, you know, uh, when he says, uh, have mercy on me, O Lord, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions and my sins, wash away the, the guilt that stains my life, restore the joy of my salvation. God showed up to be at his service with grace and forgiveness. And when you ask David, why do you think that God kept showing up that way and kept showing up that way? David would be able to say at the end of his life that the God that's been in my life is a God who has loved me infinitely, no matter what. And so that's the first insight I want you to get, that the God that I'm talking about who serves us is a God who loves you infinitely, no matter what. I can hear the writer Paul declare that nothing can separate us from the incredible unconditional love of God. Can you just say God loves me infinitely, no matter this notion of service is embodied in the text. When you look at the, the Hebrew beneath the word prepares, he prepares. God, you prepared a, a table before me. In that Hebrew word, it's the notion of God being personally involved. That God didn't hire a group of people to set up the table. God didn't hire folk to, to cook the meal. Uh, God, the, the notion of the text is what David is saying is God has been so personally involved in serving his life. It is as though God shows up and God sets up the table and God sets out the silverware and sets the plate settings in place. And, and that it is God who's in the kitchen with an apron tied around and, and, and rallying the, 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 the cooking, the different meals and pulling it out of the stove and bringing it out and setting up this great feast for David in the midst of his enemies. Somebody shout enemies. You know what your enemies are? Your enemy is that part of your broken consciousness that continues to condemn you even though God has completely forgiven you. You know your enemies, right? It is those folk who are your haters and people who are trying to cut you down and make you feel small and less than and little and not enough. And David says he had all of that going on in his life. And in the middle of all of that, this God who serves prepares a table before me in their presence to affirm how much he loves me and and he says and he and he anoints my head with oil back in that day when you were if you were a visitor visiting someone's house they would pour oil on your head not only to cool you off from the hot sun but to honor you god didn't just forgive me he honors me and and he says my cup runneth over back in that day in time it was a mark of generosity and of a great host who would keep the wine running over in your cup. And he was saying, God keeps filling my life with good things. When I look back over 70 years, this is who God has been to me. And it's mind blowing, he says. It's mind blowing. Wow. You know, as I think about this God who serves, I'm thinking about the power of serving. It's an incredible, powerful thing. My uh, wife demonstrated this for me uh, just over the last couple of weeks. You know, as we worked through this pandemic, I found myself, you know, longing for my grand aunt and uncle and grandmother and them who raised me so many years ago. And, and I, I found a soul food restaurant in San Jose 
And in about a two-week period of time, I went to that soul food restaurant three different times. And so my wife was talking to me one evening. She says, well, why do you think you keep going back? I said, because the food, the black-eyed peas and the rice and the smothered chicken and gravy and rice, the, 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 the collard greens, the, 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 the sweet potato yams, the, the cornbread, you know, the food. Am I making you hungry? Come on. <laughs> the Kool-Aid. Come on. Red and blue Kool-Aid. The food. The, the sweet potato pie and, and all the food. Reminds me of the unconditional love that my grand aunt and them poured into my life. And I can almost feel their presence as I'm eating the food. And my wife immediately, as though a light went off, she says, you know what? I got you. I got you. I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm going to serve you, she says. And despite the fact that she works 10, 11 hours a, a, a day for the next week and a half, she personally made sure that she prepared black-eyed peas and rice and fried chicken and baked chicken with rice and gravy. And, 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 and she had Lauren to bake sweet potato pies. And she baked some sweet potato pies. And my mother-in-law made some cornbread. Come on now. And, 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 and as I... As I ate, I was filled with such a sense of love from my wife who was unconditionally pouring this love into my life through her desire to serve and bless me. It was incredible. And so here's another point that, that I, that I, that I want to make. Listen, about serving. Serving releases redemptive love, love that heals, love that generates fresh life, right? That often, not always, but if it, if it lands in a reasonably healthy place, that often generates a response by the one that blesses you. And you know what happened? When I started thinking about how my wife had done all of that over the course of a week while working these long hours, I was just overcome and I found some healing. Come on now, leaking into my soul that I had been grieving through this, this pandemic. And I was filled not just with healing, but gratitude. And I began to say to Ronald, baby, how can I bless you? Not a tip for tat. But this is what happens when serving is fully released. This is what God intends when he pours it into our lives, right? It, it, it generates the need in me to serve back. So I said, look, baby, let, let me massage your feet while you lay down and watch on your iPad your favorite TV show for the next hour. Come on. Give me the shopping list and let me go to Costco. I'll figure out how to get X, Y, and Z. God, uh, 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 let me pick up your car while you're at work and take care. Make sure it's all set and ready to go and I'll bring it back to you at work. How can I pour back in your life? This is after 35 years of marriage, guys. How can I pour back in your life what you have so powerfully poured in my life? That is the power of serving one another. And somebody say powerful. Yeah, powerful. Okay, I can hear some of you say, well, Pastor, that's awesome. It's amazing. But when you're talking about God serving us, I still can't really get with that image. Talking about God putting an apron around his waist and rattling the pots. I can't really get with that. You mean the king of the universe, the creator of the world? Come on. Uh, is serving us. Uh, aren't we here to serve him? Oh, yes. There's this. There's this. He serves us and we serve him. Well, Pastor, I can't really wrap my mind around that. I'm having a little struggle. Okay. 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 Here's the deal. God is consistent. And that consistent God that we meet in Psalms 23, 
shows up in his son Jesus. And Jesus, on the road to, to the cross to be crucified for humankind, he pulls his disciples to the side, and here's what he says to them. He says, this, even the Son of Man did not come to be served. What is the chief why behind you living your life? He says his living was not about being served. What's the chief why behind your company? What's the chief why behind why you're going to school? Uh, what's the chief why in terms of how you're interacting with your spouse? Is it, is it to be served? He says, no, that wasn't his chief why. But he came, look here, to serve Jesus is God in the flesh. Uh, I talked about it last week. And when the word became flesh, Jesus is God with us. He says, I come to serve others and generosity to give his life as a ransom for many. Yeah, that's the God that we meet in Psalm. We meet him in his son, Jesus. You see how powerful and intricate, how it is embodied in who Jesus is and in his relationship with us. Okay, I haven't convinced you yet. Okay, okay. Uh, let, let, let me take you to John. And if you can't imagine God with an apron around, maybe you can see Jesus with a towel around his waist. Listen to what the writer of John says. So he got up from the meal. He had sit, had his Passover meal with his Jewish disciples. This is the night before he's going to be ultimately arrested and crucified. And, and everything he's doing that night is, is teaching about the meaning of his crucifixion that would ultimately lead to resurrection and hope for the world. And so he gets up from the meal. The text says he took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. My goodness. And after that, this is, this, is, this is the one who creates the world. Come on, who has shown up in his son. It says, after that, he poured water into the basin. Can't you see him pouring water into the basin? And then he began to wash the disciples' feet. I don't want you to miss the point here. In order to wash their feet, Jesus had to get down on his knees. And he had to take their feet and put it in the basin and begin to wash the feet. Might I remind you of the feet of the people that he's washing? He's washing Peter's feet and, and, and John's feet. He's washing those who will betray him. He's washing the feet of those who will, dis, who, who, who will abandon him. He, he's washing their feet. Oh, yeah, he's serving them. He's serving them. And, and, and they say he dries the feet with a towel that was wrapped around his waist. And Peter says, well, wait a moment. I, I see what you're doing. I don't want you to do that for me. No, 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 Jesus, you're too good. You're too precious to be washing my dirty feet. I, I know how sinful and dirty I am. I don't, I don't necessarily want you to do that for me. The text says he protested. You will never, ever wash my feet. I won't allow it, Peter says. And Jesus replied, watch this insight. Unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. You see, your sin is going to take you out unless I wash you. Come on, your mistakes is going to destroy you unless I wash you. Death is going to be the last word in your life unless I wash you, unless I serve you. Do you get the point that what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying, my serving you is a necessity for you to have a future. My serving you, Jesus says, is an absolute essential in order for you to have eternal life. My serving you, Jesus says, is absolutely indispensable for you to rise from all of the things that are going to try to destroy you and push you down, including your own sense and mistakes state my serving you is critical 
to the hope of your future. Oh my goodness. Think about this, guys. If Jesus serving us through the crucif- through his death on the cross, through pouring out his life for the redemption of our sins, to cleanse us, to pay the price for all the things that have gone wrong, that would, that's what it means for him to wash us, y'all, right, right? So that when he says, I'm forgiven, that I'm absolutely forgiven, regardless of what my broken conscience tries to say to me, uh, for him to do that and, and is to suggest that humanity's hope is wrapped up in God serving us through his son. And if the hope for humanity is wrapped up through God serving us through his son Jesus, then how much more so is the hope of humanity wrapped up in Jesus' followers serving one another and pouring that unconditional redemptive love into the world around them, detoxing people's behaviors and thoughts and the environment through how we serve. You get the point? Okay, I I, I don't think you get the point. I I, I don't think you fully get the point. Here, take a picture of this. Serving others, lean in, is woven into the very structure of life. Uh, What I want to suggest to you is that the way God has shaped creation, it is all held together in such a way that the various parts of creation serves one another. If you think about how the stars are not just there to shine for themselves, that they are uniquely strategic to how the galaxy operates. The closest star, the sun to the earth, is not just there to shine for itself, but it it produces the light that works through its photosensitive processes and, and all of the other stuff to bring life uh, to bear on the planet Earth, to, to pro- help produce life and preserve life here on the planet. Watch it. The, the trees and the green grass and the plants that find the ability to grow because the sunlight is shining on them does not just exist for themselves, but, but together they, 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 they pull the carbon dioxide out of the air that would destroy us and they replace into the atmosphere it with oxygen, which we need. Do you see how it works together? Come on now. Do you see service as the element in creation? Y'all ain't listening. Come on. Let's lean a little further. Uh, look at the beauty of the flowers. And, and they're not just there to beautify for themselves. They become a landing pad for the bee to land on the flower. Come on now. And, 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 and as the bee takes the nectar that the flower provides to help the bee survive, the bee then flies from that flower to the next flower. And every time the bee lands, he leaves behind some pollen that he got from the other flower. Come on now, helping life to be preserved and to grow. Do you see how it's all tied together with the unique element being service? And when service is missing, from life, whether it's how you run your company or whether it's the politics that surrounds you or whether what's happening in your household, then it all begins to fall inward on itself. Service. Let me give you one more example. One of the distinctions based on this teaching between God and Satan, between the works of righteousness and that which is demonic and evil is that that which is demonic and evil has only one focus 
itself, feeding itself, even at the destruction of what it's feeding on. It doesn't care. That's the reason when I watch politicians in the news who are willing to sacrifice the lives of millions just to secure their next political seat, I don't have to wonder about which side of the equation what I'm seeing in that scenario, right? But God is willing to sacrifice God's self to redeem and preserve life. Let me give you a perfect example. Listen to me. Think about this Delta variance. Think about it. When it enters your body, it has only one thought, itself. It destroys your white blood cells, itself. It begins to eat away at the lining of your, of your lungs and begin to move them towards collapsing itself. It's its only thought. It begins to embed itself in your nervous system and impact it as he feeds off your nervous system. It's only thinking about itself. It begins to impact how you think in your brain, the operating of your brain. It only thinks about itself. And it just, it is so focused on itself. It doesn't mind if it kills you. But the T cells in your body, come on now, the antibodies in your body, the moment the alarm system goes off and says a virus has entered, they, 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 they leap into action and, and they're not thinking about themselves. They're thinking about the larger body and they're willing to sacrifice themselves if that's what's necessary to take out the virus, come on now, in order to preserve the body. It's extrapolate. Do you see how the, the, the element of service is built into the very creation? I mean, just look at all the other parts of your body, your arms and your eyes and your legs and your heart and your lungs uh, and your kidneys. They are all designed, come on now, to serve one another. And when they're operating correctly, they're serving something bigger than themselves, the whole body. And when you remove service from the equation, all hell breaks loose. It looks like cancer sometimes. Or political toxicity here in America. All hell breaks loose. This is what Paul means in this text as we bring this to a close. You see the analogy now? He says, just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special serving function. That's what he means here. So it is with the Christ's body, with what we call the church, the community of Jesus followers. He says, we are many parts, but we're of one body and and we too have special serving functions. And get this, we all belong to each other, called to serve each other. Oh my God. Notice what he says here. When God's people are in need, Shout need. Be ready to help them. You be the T-cells. You be the antibodies. You leap into action. Always eager to practice hospitality. At the heart of that word is the word from which we get the word hospital. Practice caring for others. Okay, you remember the, uh, what is mankind that, 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 that you'd be mindful of us, uh, the psalmist declares. Who are human beings that you would care for us? God, that you would serve us. We're called to practice that same kind of care, service in the world. It's how you run your business. 
It's the reason why you get educated. It's how you raise your kids. You teach them that the world doesn't revolve around them. You build character and the capacity to serve in them. Here's the bottom line. We all need it. God told me to tell you today. You may think you're invisible. You may think you're not equipped. You may think it doesn't matter what happens in your life. You may be thinking about taking your life because you think nobody cares. God told me to tell you today, you are needed. He needs you, your mind, your imagination, your gifts to be deployed in the work of serving. Both in the church and in the world. As he seeks to detox the world around us. Answer his call. Amen. Now let me just walk you through the next steps. And uh, I hope you got our app. If you don't, you can go ahead and download it. And uh, I give you, you even have a better option than just downloading the app. There's a QR code on this screen right here. Take out your phone, open your camera, point it at the QR code. Uh, a link is going to pop up in there. Tap that link. It's going to take you directly to our connection card. You can do that right now. I want to encourage you to go ahead and do that right now. And there's some stuff you got to fill out that if you haven't done it before, but I think you can skip that initially and, and go to the next steps with Jesus. And for you, some of you, your first step of positioning yourself, living your life differently is to take this Jesus that I just talked about and make him Lord and Redeemer of your life. Release your control and trust him in life and in death for your eternity. And you should, there's a box for you to check right there. You can go ahead and check that today or you can return to faith. And while you're working through that, uh, there is a message response. And listen, here's my point. God needs you to inject into the world around you, to inject into your family, to inject into your relationship, the very thing that he has embodied, a willingness to serve. Yeah. That it might produce gratitude and service back. And so all I want you to do, it may start with your work, et cetera. I just want you to, here's the response I want you to commit to by simply saying out loud, God, sign me up to serve. Say it again, God, sign me up to serve. Now, if you are regular in, in connection with NBCC, you watch us at least a couple of times a month uh, across the country or you're attending our, our in-person gatherings, then I want to say to you, God needs you to serve inside of the church body. He, we need you at NBCC. Even v whether you're across the world, there's a place for you to serve virtually. And we need you. We need you. I need you. Together, you, we all need you to help us to proclaim the good news of who Jesus is. So I'm going to give you a chance today to sign up to serve in person or virtually. And you may not be ready to serve right now for a variety of reasons. That's cool. Go ahead and sign up to serve. And we're going to reach out to you and it may be six months later that you want to serve. We'll work all that stuff out with you. But we want to get you positioned and ready to serve. Here's some examples of serving opportunities. And again, there's a QR code. It takes you straight to our connection card. You see these serving opportunities there. 
First, the first impression. These are all the people from parking to greetings that meet people both in person at our campuses and online and helps everybody who comes into the sphere of NBC to feel like you're the most valuable person in the world because our job is to love you with the infinite love of God. And then there's kids and student ministry and worship arts, all opportunities for you to serve tech team with our cameras and running our boards, all that stuff, online ministry team. We need people online to help pray for us. We've got tons of people calling in for prayer. We need you to help us with that. Small groups. We need people to start small groups. I've got folk living across the country, but you're, you're committed and connected to NBCC. Go ahead and start a small group right where you are. We'll help you. We'll resource you. Care and prayer team. And if you don't know what you want to pick, well, just check others. And uh, we'll get in touch with you and help you to figure out what you want to do and when you want to start doing it. All right, here's a reflection question. I went a little long today, but thank you for your patience. This is incredibly important. Here's the question. What is your greatest hesitation about serving? Wrestle with that, all right? And whatever you do, make sure you get back here next week because I can't wait to teach week five. Boy, I hope you were truly blessed today uh, by this experience. And if you're looking for a way for God to renew and restore your soul, I want to invite you to attend uh, this week, our midweek online worship gathering, which we're calling Refresh. Wednesday, September the 1st, 7 p.m. Pacific time. Also, make sure you get back here next week. uh, Our regular time online, you can find us 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. Pacific time. Or if you're in the local Bay Area, you can find us either in Ridwood City or San Jose uh, at 11 a.m. You can just show up in person. You don't have to pre-register. 